0: Today is March 30th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitopi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bogani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatories that include Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda of the Wesley, Chidiki, and Pond Nations, and the Dene from the Sutina Nation. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status, and non-status across Turtle Island, is the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honour the Blackfoot. I was born in Calgary, or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare People, also called the Great Bear Lake People in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene Nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotiné Tine in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgments are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk down the red, red, my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk... Call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. They also have a text that you can go to at hopeforwellness.ca. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area. And of course, a shout out to the Kids Help Phone if you're younger. Now, according to podcasts, you have to be 18 years to listen to it. But whatever, if you're Native, I totally understand you listening. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian. Thank you to previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you to those that cannot afford to give but listen in. I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments questions. We're also on iTunes, Google Play and Stitcher. And I'd like to give a super shout out to my super uh, loyal donors of Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kenna, Leah, Marissa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa and Veronica. And speaking of one of my loyal listeners.
1: Hi, Tiffany. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, and I think we're just going to put it out there right now. This is actually round two of us trying to do a (laughs) podcast, but unfortunately our first time didn't properly record, and I apologize profusely from the bottom of my heart on that.
1: (laughs) It's no problem. I have had technical difficulties with things too. It happens. Right on. Um, Well, when we did speak, we talked about
0: numerous things, and I I just really want to get into it by first saying thank you about some of the work that you do in and around community. And on top of that, you also had come across a conversation where somebody said, boy, I wish that there was more transcripts for um, these podcasts. And that has actually resulted in someone like myself going, oh, that's a thing. That's totally makes (laughs) sense. And um, right away, you had offered to pay somebody to do a transcript Uh, transcribing of my episode with Sable Sweetgrass. So I wanted to say, first of all, thank you for that. And two, um, I was wondering, like for those of us that are able-bodied like myself and do able-bodied things all the time called ableism, um, can you talk a little bit about how it is that you know um, being uh, transcribed, uh, podcasts and all sorts of things need to be done and, and why you know that?
1: Yeah, so um, transcription just means um, typing out what's said or what's seen, if it's a visual thing uh, like a video. And the reason it's important for accessibility is because not only for deaf or hard of hearing folks, but also for folks who have like sensory processing issues or who have executive function issues or a neurodivergence that makes it difficult to kind of focus on. audio content a transcription can make it more accessible for a whole range of different different folks so and the reason I know that is um, well a I actually prefer to read transcription than to listen to audio myself mm-hmm. um, but also I do some facilitation online of online courses and having transcripts available means that my video and audio lessons actually people in the course can still engage with that content. It it makes it way more accessible to a whole bunch of different people. Mm. So um, I kind of learned that from my own work, actually.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you want to elaborate a little more on what your work is? Uh,
1: Yeah, I would love to. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I actually right before I um, called in, I was working on putting up a blog post for one of the Um, writing groups that I run that we're moving from a monthly in-person writing group. I'm shifting it all online while we go through this pandemic. So figuring out, you know, how do you get together and write as a group when you're all separate? How can we keep that sense of togetherness? So um, yeah, that's what I do. I, I do community organizing and I facilitate workshops. I'm I'm trained as a narrative therapist and I have a small private practice doing narrative therapy um, and then I teach writing. Um, this group that I'm talking about is a speculative writing group so we write um, specifically we write science fiction and fantasy and fairy tales and other kind of speculative work with a justice focus so mm. how can we imagine more just possible futures
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um which I think is really important. And um, yeah, I also run a bisexual, pansexual, and asexual community group in Calgary that's been running since 2010. And um, yeah, I do collective documentation work, and I work in the queer and trans community quite a bit. And yeah, I think that's neat. That's what I do.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. And tomorrow is actually the uh, uh, International Day of Trans Visibility.
1: It is. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: I I stumbled across that. So I posted it already on uh, voices because, uh, you know, tomorrow's a big day. So, yeah. you know, if we acknowledge it today and then tomorrow, hopefully we'll be sharing wonderful stories, um, you know, and all sorts of dignitaries acknowledging, or at least that's what I'm going to be looking for tomorrow in everybody's address.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. And and it's so, um, it, I've been thinking a lot about that because, There are so many queer and trans youth who are in isolation right now in homes that are not always um, affirming of their gender or their orientation. So I think this this year's Day of Visibility is going to be particularly important for those those people, young people, but also adults um, in spaces where we can't get out and celebrate each other in a march or um, even in like getting together in small groups to celebrate each other, knowing that someone sees you, we see you. If you are a trans youth or trans person, like even if you're not visible in your home, you are visible. You 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 do exist, and your gender is valid.
0: Mm. Um... Interesting. I came across Tegan and Sarah's foundation and they actually have grants and they're specifically, uh, generated toward this COVID-19 because I can't, yeah. I, I read another article that they had shared about, um, uh, it being, um, r- hard enough to access healthcare, let alone with mm-hmm. the COVID-19 issue. So, and, um, I think it would be fair to say, um, because right now, the the fear is high and and the numbers are going up and all of these things. And and the result is, is that we're hearing awful things being said, like, you know, the triage system is actually a eugenics system. And those that they deem unworthy will be the ones not getting the proper care that they need. And my concern is tomorrow is International Day, Trans Visibility Day, that You know, trans people are going to be discriminated against based on that alone, even though that's like clearly the wrong thing to be um, doing. I think um, like I see racial bias, uh, sexism bias, uh, gendered violence bias all the time in in every institution we have in the medical community is no different. So I think it's really relevant to be talking about that right now. So I'm, I'm so grateful to have you on the phone to talk about just even that issue alone. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, um, and the intersections are so huge, too. Like you brought up the racial bias that folks experience in medical settings. And that just compounds and compounds like two spirit indigenous folks who are facing both racism, and trans antagonism, or queer phobia, like these issues just pile on to each other.
0: Well, and we're seeing the staff being discriminated against. So for example, you know, People who don't think highly of the cleaning lady who may be, Uh. you know, English is a second language. Maybe they're an immigrant. Uh, And then today I shared... um a policy that just came, a policy study that just came out of Calgary, and it was actually talking about how um, now that there's a crisis, suddenly all these Western institutions are quite interested in the amount of uh, medical staff that would normally be medical staff wherever they're from, but because they came here under, you know, refugee status or or whichever, they're not qualified. But now they're considering doing a whole bunch of lifting of those qualifications in order to get them into the Um, hospitals and such to help with COVID-19, which I think is its own disgusting um, Mm -hmm. hypocrisy that, you know, that we're seeing that comes out during a crisis and, um, you know, should have been instituted long before the crisis. Um, Either they have knowledge or they don't and they, you know, should have made it a lot easier sooner for folks to be able to practice what they know. It's that it's its own brain drain for sure.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. when when we were talking before, um, you you said that there were re- resources on your www.tiffanysostar.com. com, and um, you were also talking about a six month month course that you were working on for nonfiction from marginalized voices. Did you want to maybe elaborate at all on that?
1: Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for remembering that. I wasn't going to bring it up again because I was like, don't market your stuff. It's weird.
0: No, the um, opposite. I want <laughs> you to market your stuff.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah. So I teach a six month online course in narrative therapy and speculative fiction. So it's um, my idea was narrative therapy is all about how we tell our own personal stories in ways that feel strong. So how do we tell the story of ourselves as people who are responding to problems in our lives, who have agency, who have values that we've been connected to? How can we tell the story of our lives in ways that are respectful and non-blaming and that help us feel strong Mm. and speculative fiction when it is done well is like, How do we tell the story of the future in a way that makes us feel strong? How do we map a path to a more just future? Or how do we imagine what the past might have been like in ways that have more justice, more care, more connection? Um, And I thought, well, I could mash those two things together and see what comes of it. And so, yeah, I have this six-month course. It's called An Unexpected Light. And the next session is starting in April. The Mm -hmm. first session has just wrapped up and went really well. Um, Folks in the course, we have um, six themes and each one has a narrative therapy section where you have an opportunity to do some therapy on yourself, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then reading. And I really centered marginalized voices. So African futurist voices, indigenous futurisms, Um, queer and trans and disabled futures really centering voices that have been excluded from speculative fiction in kind of the mainstream. Mm. And then folks also have an opportunity to write their own speculative fiction if they want to.
0: Mm. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. (laughs) And I, and you know, like I absolutely wanted you to plug that again because uh, it lifts the voice of the people that we need to hear the most from. Like right now, um, Today, what are we hearing from? We're hearing from predominantly white voices that are in leadership that aren't Uh necessarily um, talking about the very issues that we need to be talking about. So to me, having these marginalized voices of African, Indigenous, trans, um, you know, we need to be reading that. But we also need to be accessing that because people may not even know it exists. And it's such a great outlet for you know, and as as a healing, in my opinion, um, I started a book club on Indigenous authors, and it is healing to read those books. Sometimes it's a little too traumatizing. Not going to lie, yeah. uh, there are a lot of Indigenous authors I've had to put the book down because that's just too much for me to process right now. But at the mm-hmm. same time, for non-Indigenous people, it's a huge wake-up call. And they see mm-hmm. things that they never saw before, and so even for me, um, I have Desmond Cole's book on my bookshelf. That's next that I gotta read. Um, I have the gay histories of Calgary. Those are things that I want to. That it won't probably be as triggering and impact me as as it would somebody from that community. So um, I just want to absolutely plug that work because I think it's really important.
1: Thanks, and actually, while we're plugging work. Um, one of the core textbooks in my course is the book Octavia's Brood. It's edited by Adrian Marie Brown and Walida Imarisha. It is a phenomenal book of short stories, speculative fiction short stories, written by social justice movement organizers. Mm. So most of the short stories in the book are written by people who were not, you know, famous or well-known fiction writers, they're social justice organizers who um who were invited to participate in this, like write a speculative story. What do you imagine might be possible? Mm-hmm. The writing is amazing. And right now on the AK Press website, they've got the ebook available for $1.99. Oh so, wow. Yeah. So even if folks don't want to take the course, I think you should take the course because it's great. But even if you you know, don't want to do that or can't, um, one of our six textbooks is that Octavia's Brood. It's the core of the readings in the course. Mm. It's really good. And it and $1.99, like, I don't think you can do better than that for a whole book of speculative fiction by marginalized writers imagining more just, more possible futures.
0: Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you for, for that so that we know, because I think that will help us a lot in you know, um, in getting there. I mean, we, we are not sitting around doing nothing. We're all glued and we need that escape, uh, yeah. during this time. So I don't know. I, uh, I, um, I think that's what we need to escape into and kind of force yeah. ourselves to, you know, watch other movies or whichever it is in order to, um, escape from this right now. So, um, yeah.
1: And, yeah. and ahead. I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, um, I think like, We've had such a push in so many science fiction spaces, especially to tell dystopian stories, Mm -hmm. to imagine, you know, the dark and gritty possible futures. And I think that right now we need to be a little intentional about looking for possible futures like we need to find a way to hold on to some hope. And I think we will have better luck finding hope in the writing of marginalized communities who've already been through apocalyptic conditions than in what can be imagined by more privileged communities. Not because, you know, straight white men can't write good speculative fiction. I love (laughs) Neil Gaiman probably more than the next person. But there's something in the writing of you know, indigenous communities can imagine futures beyond apocalypse because they live it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Same thing for trans communities, same thing for black communities, like disabled communities. It's exactly the same thing. There is imagination there that comes from lived experience. And I think that's a different kind of hope. It's a more robust hope.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I love that you came on the show and just talked about you know, imagining that new future and that new hope. Because um, even I need that reminder. And um, as, as you know, I love Star Wars ridiculously. And, uh, you know, that yep. gives me that sense of escapism, but that intergalactic colonialism, you know, a different lens and, and such to look at it as well. And um, But it's hard because every Star Wars uh, show like follows the same pattern of, um, <laughs> you know, where everyone's about to die and then magically our, our, um, you know, underdog magically a- is able to get out of that position. So, and it's always based yeah. on goodness and kindness and such. And, you know, even for me, um, I am surprised to see the lack of humanity um, in this moment. And I don't know why, um, when clearly, <laughs> history has shown <laughs> that that is always the case, right? So, um, and I think too, for us to kind of, you know, catalog these moments um, might actually help us in the future with, with the different writings that we do in order to heal from this. So, I'm really grateful that you, um, you know, bring bring up that message of what the future and hope can look like.
1: Thanks. I think you, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I think the way I'm able to hold on to hope that is is more tightly tied to justice than, you know, just hoping that I'll make it in the capitalist dream or whatever. um, Your work has really informed that. Like, you do so much to bring awareness of the ongoing effects of colonialism and I actually don't think that we can I don't think it's possible to imagine just futures if we aren't confronting colonialism and the ongoing effects of that so you really have had a role in this work that I'm doing
0: (laughs) oh that's wonderful well speaking of which um So I came across this today. I, I, as a general rule, try to stick my nose out of U.S. affairs because it's not my place. Um, But right now, I kind of have to. Um, I don't know if you had seen it, but right now, uh, not just with the COVID-19, and I've done a whole other episode on why it is indigenous people are more at risk from a health perspective than non-indigenous when it comes to this issue, because of, you know, ongoing governmental policies that have been imposed on us. But on top of that, right now, Trump is actually trying to get rid of um, deregister, basically a reservation and, um, yeah. and it's people. So, uh, the Mashpee Wampagana, I, I probably said that wrong and I apologize. Um, they, they are about to be deregistered. So for the first time, I'm like, okay. I knew last week that they had just appointed a new U.S. ambassador for from Canada. So I messaged her on Twitter and on Facebook, but I'm going to have to send her an email and start a campaign to get people to write, um, basically to let them know that this is happening. And then on a separate... Um, uh, article I came across, there was um, t- Kentucky, South Dakota, and West Virginia have all passed uh, legislation so that you can't protest when it comes to uh, a Dakota style pipeline that's going through their lands. So, you know, it's it's not enough that they're already already fighting COVID nineteen under you know ridiculous circumstances because of government imposed legislation that non-indigenous never face but now they have to look at you know basically losing their civil rights in a different way than of course non-indigenous would ever face so like those issues are are coming up right now because people are so focused on the covid crisis they're not paying attention to these issues that uh indigenous people are facing and uh you know and that's of course, the Wet'suwet'en are still under uh, policing. Yeah. Sure. Today, I heard a reporter actually ask Justin Trudeau about why it is um, him being the owner of the pipeline going through their lands, why it is that those workers are still working and and possibly spreading disease, and he said, "Oh, well, I'll look into that and I'll have a better answer for you tomorrow." So I know today, for the first time, he's going to be trying to figure out his. Uh, talking points for the Wet'suwet'en pipeline and, and that issue. So I'm really excited to hear what he has to say tomorrow. But of course, you know, it also shows a disconnect. Um, here I am in the Indigenous Peoples Commission, like zero outreach has been done to me at all. And in fact, the opposite, there's been outreach done to other liberals, but not to me about Indigenous issues. And um, here we are, you know, it, it just m- amplifies to me you know, how um, insignificant you are within a party structure. I mean, (laughs) you try really hard to advocate, but it's they they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And now I have to try to figure out how am I going to have this conversation in the party? So I've already contacted the UN because... Um, they actually have like special land defender status, so like mm-hmm. my hope is that um, you know all of the manuals have it. I'm hoping Molly Wickham has it. I hope I'm hoping they have the status. And what that does is that if a single one of them goes missing or murdered, um, there's a UN team that comes in to investigate that murder because um, they had applied for that land defender status and they're at a higher risk. So that's why I went after this, uh, one particular branch of the UN. So I'm going to put out, um, you know, kind of a, this is what's happening. This is what you can do style documents in the hopes that people and, and who to listen to, like, even I have to do that research to figure out who are the activists that we have to listen to on this and amplify their voices so that that way, um, that that way their voices are being heard and we follow their direction and um yep. yeah so that's that's what's happening right now and and that's one reservation you know there's over 630 in in Canada and I I don't even know the numbers in the US and it's just an example of a chance for colonial structure to create new policies that um you can't blame on your grandparents cuz i hear that all the yep. time you know um oh my grandparents they uh You know, I don't want to live with the shame that they did. And it's like, well, but you're not undoing the policy that your grandparents instituted. So that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If you're not actively working to stand against that, then you are you are complicit in what's happening because it is still happening. Mm Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And right now, uh, Trump was talking about putting up a military line. I don't know what the status on that today is, but they basically wanted to bring in a few thousand American um, military personnel across the Canadian-U.S. border, which is ridiculous because they have more corona than we do. So the last thing we want is any of their germs.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's
0: awful to say, but that's how I feel. So. um but my bigger concern, of course, being um, in the states, they also have uh, relaxed um, understanding of this coronavirus, and as a result, we're seeing ridiculous numbers happening in Nevada. Like my Denny, right now, are be are testing positive, and they're like shutting mm-hmm. it down and doing martial law to try to shut people away from each other so we don't lose our elders and such down there. So i um, It's uh, it's it sucks. It sucks, and you yeah. know you you know this conversation more than anyone. So it's. Good to have you on here to talk about it.
1: (laughs) It's a, it is such a hard time. And so like what you brought up about, you know, policies that are being brought in now under, you know, the chaos of the pandemic and these oppressive policies being brought in and not challenged because everything, everyone is so concerned about what's immediately in front of us. Like we are at such a critical point right now. And yeah, finding, figuring out whose voices to listen to can be difficult. Figuring out what to do with what we're hearing can be difficult. So I think that work you're doing of pulling together that information will be really helpful.
0: I hope so. Um, and and it actually like the COVID crisis really brings up a lot of issues in in the community when it comes to queer issues dealing with HIV AIDS you know that those are skills and and insider knowledge that comes from that crisis uh, that we can apply to today. So the irony being that we should be listening to the most marginalized voices on this anyway.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but as you know, trying to get anyone in power to listen to the most marginalized voices is an uphill battle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I wish, I wish I had zero experience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, and then, of course, the bigger conversation of you know, the uh, the forest here through the trees is the. That this will be, you know, maybe two or three waves, just like uh, smallpox or the Spanish flu, where it yeah. came in in different waves. So, you know, we have a uh, quite an interesting road ahead of us. So, your your conversation about hope and what a future can look like is is so needed right now.
1: Yeah, and and like, how are we going to keep each other safe through this? And How are we going to find ways to engage in actions of solidarity and mutual aid and collective action? Um, Because we're already seeing the number of people who are falling through the cracks of the emergency, you know, funding relief and things like that. That's going to be on communities and community organizers to fill those gaps. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us, you know, we're in a very individualist, Culture. Not many of us, um, certainly not me, have the skills and have been taught and mentored in how to really do mutual aid, how to do like care pods to keep each other safe. I think if this does end up being waves, and it looks like it probably will, we're going to need those skills.
0: Mm -hmm. I had a really awful conversation with someone and they they put a trigger warning. And they said, um, you know, when you're this disconnected from family, like when you have nobody, um, and your family is far away and some of them get sick, what are what is your plan? And I just outright said, I'm sorry, but right now is that time that we're thinking, okay, so the most loved people we have are likely going to die alone. And how, because the, you know, you can't have funerals right now, or you can if you have like five people, you just have to cremate them and have memorials later. And I, I typed those words out. And I was like, I can't believe I'm typing this out. Yeah, you know, um, let alone the idea of, you know, if you're getting sick, um, like I've, I've put that out there, like, let me know, and I will drop off food, I will uh, do the grocery run. But I mean, the end of the day, a lot of us are not comfortable reaching out to other, uh, to each other. So how do we navigate that? How do we navigate these waters?
1: Yeah, there's some, um, so this is another piece of media that we engage with in the course, but it's available for free online. Um, Leah Lakshmi Peepsna sinha was interviewed on the, how to survive the end of the world show podcast. And she talked about exactly what you're talking about. How do we ask for help? Mm-hmm. Because that's part of um, care work is asking for help and receiving help and learning how to offer help respectfully. Mm. Um, it's a really great interview. It's, it's on the website. Yeah. If you just Google the end of the world show and then um, disability justice, I think will get you there. Mm. Um she talks about that because you're right lots of us are not not comfortable reaching out for help don't know how to ask for help um in ways that don't feel like they reduce our dignity or our agency Mm. and we're going to need to learn those skills we're going to need to learn both sides of that how to ask how to receive how to offer
0: yeah exactly yeah no that's exactly what i'm talking about where it's How, how do we even get that out there? And, you know, and and it's hard because, um, we focus mainly on the financial, um, aspects and, and already I'm seeing people saying, I can't access these websites. They're crashing. Um, you know, Justin Trudeau talked about Canada's system being online in April, April 6th, which is not going to help with tomorrow's end rent. And, um, yeah, yeah, so, (laughs) you know, Tomorrow's gonna be an ugly day, or even the first or second is, is gonna be gross, and um, so he's saying that's gonna be up on the sixth, and um, you know, so how do we help each other through this time? How do we like? And here's an example. I I won't name this person, but they said uh, I have you know roommates, and my portion of of the rent goes to my mortgage, but you know, if one of us drops this, I cannot. Uh, make that mortgage payment. And unfortunately, you know, the conversation that I'm hearing federally is, oh, well, we will give, you know, low or no interest free loans. And I'm like, mm, is are not the words that are going to help anybody? Like, why yeah. can't we just not have a freeze? Can we just not yeah. freeze for six months? Or, you know, every month until we can, um, say okay, everybody's worked for a month. We can open this up again. Um, yeah, you know we're we're not even having those conversations. And then the other conversation is, you know, seventy percent of a of a portion. If you qualify, well, we know people aren't going to going to qualify, and we know seventy percent is not enough. And yeah. and and so, you know, people are going to be asking for food. They're going to be asking for help on rent, and you know, and probably not going to have the capability of paying people back for maybe years, if ever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So. And we, and how do we, we, it really, I think we're going to have to, I don't even know how we do this, This, but, but this is what imagining the future is about is not knowing how we do it and trying to do it anyway. Yeah. But like, how do we move beyond, uh, transactional ideas of aid because you're right people are not going to be able to pay back right away and there's not this is it's not going to work if we have uh if we view this all as transactions like capitalism has got us here and does not have the skills to get us out
0: (laughs) (laughs) isn't that the truth my god well and the other part is too is that um you know we just we don't make amends for everybody. We never did in the capitalist system. So, you know, the people that were always falling through the cracks are now really falling through the cracks. So um, I love the idea though, how to survive the end of the world podcast for Christmas. I got one of those survival books that are yellow. And so I've been wanting to go through it for fun, but I'm sure there's some really good information in there. So we'll we'll have to start putting on our thinking hats on how to do that type of work. And um, even for me, I'm still getting requests from nonprofits um, to come and do like land acknowledgement teachings and such. So yeah. we've been doing, um, you know, it, following the amount of people that are allowed in a room based off of six meter or er, six feet, two meters, six feet distancing. And um, so I have an email because tomorrow I'm supposed to go for one and I'm going to go through it and see if it's something a am comfortable with. <laughs> and B if it's maybe it's a cancellation most of my cancels came like immediately but um there's still a few that are still out there kind of trying to do this work and and that's the interesting thing where it's like okay what is this going to look like in the future here we have these nonprofits that are going to be given um extra federal funding because there's zero uh, charities or zero businesses that are going to be able to fund through charity and um And that's the irony of this Alberta system that was created. And we just got the news of the, you know, 26,000 people being laid off by the Canadian government. Um, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) he's such a jerk. I like, you know, and and I'm going to tell you this, somebody, and I won't tell who, told me somebody punched him in the nose. Jason Kenney punched him right in the nose and that helped me sleep last night. Like that just made me feel so much better. It's like somebody, oh. you know, his his security was lacking and somebody just gave him a, a sock to the face and I just thought <laughs> if there was one person who had this coming. Yeah, <laughs> not oh. that I advocate for violence.
1: <laughs> but like but and it's amazing that we consider that violence and we like, I know, when I say we, I mean, like, as the broader conversation, because I think you and I would both consider those layoffs and these, like, cruel and unconscionable cuts are violence. But, you know, yes, like, we talk about a punch as violence, we don't talk about the violence of policy, which has so much such deep impact in people's lives. Like,
0: you know, it, it's interesting you should say that because uh, you listen to my show. I know you do. And at the yeah. end, I always talk about how, you know, policies, platforms and how they hurt people, marginalized people. And my husband, my own husband, what who's like watched decades of racism and sexism. He was like, you know, when you put it together like that and you hear it over and over again, it's that for even for him decolonizing his thinking that way. And I, mm-hmm. I can't help but wonder, like, um, you know, putting it together is its own revolutionary way to talk about things, but how many other people out there are, are just not looking at things with that lens? And, um, you know, and, and I talked about today, there was this (laughs) couple from Quebec sold everything they have. They're like 35 and they like hopped on, um, a plane and went up North and they thought they'd just start a new life and, you know, get a job. And, um, the people there stopped them at the airport and said, you're getting on the next plane home and you are not coming into our community. And, um, you know, the audacity, the, the ignorance is so clear. And because so many people are so ignorant, they don't even understand how harmful they are to people, that violence that comes through their actions, their words, and of course, then their policies.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. It's phenomenal. But, yeah, yeah, yeah the sort of connection, like, <laughs> think it through, but it's <laughs> hard. Um,
0: we don't teach that in school, do we? <laughs>
1: no, so, so I'm currently, I'm in the middle of organizing a project that was, that's directly a response to um, a couple conversations I had with community members who are in relationships with cisgender men? Um, talking about like, what do I do when my this man that I am in a relationship with doesn't share my social justice values? Like, how can I get him on board? How can we talk about this? And it is actually a very common, common issue, common experience. And it's super difficult to to do that work of putting things together so that the connections can be made Mm -hmm. so that people who don't live it can start to understand it. It's a it's a tough thing.
0: Well, and you know, my daughter, um, you know, one of my values, one of those relationships I value the most is the one that you and my daughter have, and yeah. it's, uh, it, it, we have it all the time in this in this house. So, like my my whole family is insane about supernatural. Like it's their favorite <laughs> show on the planet. I swear to God, they think that the Winchesters are actually our family. Anyway, so and and an I'm example old. of this is that my they're watching it and the two main male characters are ridiculously good looking and I can't Mm -hmm. ever concentrate on the storyline because I'm just too busy (laughs) looking at them. Like I can't just take my eyes off of them and follow the story. I can't do it. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. So they don't, they are frustrated with me because I can't understand the storyline because I don't want to watch all of the episodes that they do. But the other part is that even when I do, totally miss the story plot because they're just too good looking to even like concentrate on what the story Mm -hmm. is except the one guy there's there's two of them and one of them is like that chauvinistic cocky son of a gun character you just want to punch in the face right and then he'll say something that's along that line and i'll be like and i'm done and i'll go do dishes laundry whatever it is i need to do and um because i cannot listen to his chauvinism and all of that. So, but my daughter gets really frustrated all the time because she's just like, God, you're so straight. Um, Missing all the time, you know, good looking girls or whichever. Like I, I don't even (laughs) like, I I can't, it's not in my, like I can't see that I'm blind to it. So yeah. uh, yeah. So that's why I value your relationship with her so that she has (laughs) a place to like vent about you know these straight cis moms, God. You know, and and I totally, yeah, yeah. I'm that mom. I'm okay with that, babe. So you just go and <laughs> you say what you need to say, because I am so not going to get this conversation.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and like I know this is like a silly part of the conversation, and I love it because I'm bisexual, so like, yeah, I notice all of the attractive people of all of the genders um and yeah also supernatural i'm a fan and also have to tag out quite regularly because of the um chauvinism there and and like you know they make some terrible jokes about around gender but um Um, but it's interesting because when it's not your lived experience like that you don't notice you know attractive women like that's just not a thing that you see because it's not part of your experience yeah. that's actually knowing that that's a thing that happens is such a critical part of starting to move towards justice because you have to know that you're missing things you have to know that you're not seeing them yep
0: and I'm and, a white go yeah. ahead sorry
1: oh no no i was just going to say i'm a white settler and you know it took me years to even begin to see the things that I was absolutely missing despite the fact that they're clear as day right in front of me um when you don't have the lived experience you have to go and find the spectacles that will help you see it because your own eyes aren't doing the job
0: well and even for me um as a native person like think, People would say things and it sucked and it, I hated it and I didn't know how to navigate those waters at all. And it wasn't until I started looking into more, you know, I started walking the red road and I started working on anti-racism work because I would have been the one that said, would have said, well, don't use the term white, that's racist. Like I grew up that way, believing that because I grew up in that, you know, uh, white supremacy dominant belief system. And I've I've had to really undo that work, and I'm native, um, mm-hmm. you know. And I'll hear things that really upset me, but I can't verbalize why that communication's not there yet. Um, sometimes I can, and I'm getting better and better at it as I go down this road. But for a lot of uh, white people, I know they think I'm racist, and that's mm-hmm. the irony is that. I used to be that person. I used to be that person that used to think, oh, this person's racist, not understanding the oppression, not understanding the bigger pictures, right? And um, so I know what it's like being on the receiving end of, you know, discrimination and and the sexism too, like it's so rampant in our our community and uh, gendered violence has become a conversation that I think a lot of women are starting to understand it's bigger than just them and yeah. uh, that was where I started was like the Gloria Steinem the white feminism you know yep. it took me a while to unpack white feminism and unpack all the way to where I am today so yep. um and I mean because I have privilege I've been able to do that not because I um some people will never have that opportunity like I think of my mom right now she's uh She's stuffing grocery bags in Safeway in Edmonton right now. That's her job, and yeah. um, you know, happily proud um, Catholic Canadian. She doesn't see herself as an Indigenous woman who's survived um, colonialism, who's survived uh, violence against the spouse. Like she doesn't see it that way, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's its own journey in in your healing. That's why I always talk about a healing journey.
1: Yeah and I appreciate you bringing that up my obviously my experience is different but I'm a non-binary person and it yeah it is it's hard facing the ways that for myself the ways that I've been complicit in oppressive beliefs and actions against my own community like you know, I have said transphobic things in the past, I have not understood gender diversity, and I am a non binary person, like, um, I think it's really important that we hold space for that healing to be a process and for even when we are marginalized in that way for it to take time to figure it out.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. And even as we are talking, I'm realizing um... I haven't put into my original because I just kind of revamped my land acknowledgement and I wanted to add my she and her pronouns and I didn't. So now I'm doing it right now so that it won't get (laughs) forgotten for the next time. But like that within itself was its own unpacking and own conversation. And um, even for me, I've thought about getting the tattoo she and her right on (laughs) me so that that way. But it shows my healing journey, right, of that of that understanding of intersectionality and that understanding of, of uh, where I am in the world. So um, I just really appreciate that we can have that conversation of how we weren't born this way. We, we, it took a lot of work for us to understand, you know, our structure and privilege, the, uh, well, the structure of privilege, let alone where we might be in it. And even for me, sometimes I think I'm in denial about where I am in the structure of privilege. So.
1: um, Mm, Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a big piece too. I, um, I recently read a line in an essay and it really struck me. It was by, it was written by someone who shares a lot of my intersections of identity. And they said, um, even though something like, even though I do hold marginalized identities in many public spaces, they are greatly overshadowed by my white privilege. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that there are definitely times when I notice that non-binary gender is not being represented, and I really feel it as a painful thing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And in those moments, it can be hard to, like, hold on to an awareness that, yes this hurts yes this is real this is a real marginalization a real experience of oppression and also why my whiteness overshadows much of what is happening here because i am safer as a white person even in spaces where um, my non-binary gender is either not recognized or is recognized and perceived as a threat and that's like not to say that um Not to say that it's easy for anyone, but I think just how do we hold on to the both and how do we hold on to these are the areas where I'm marginalized. These are areas that need work in our culture. um, These are the areas where I'm privileged. These are the areas where I need to work on Mm. correcting around me. I don't know if I explained that very well, but just like how we hold both.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh. I love that, yeah i I feel that at so many levels. Um, I know when I was first in the circles of MMIW, and I just didn't see Two Spirit uh, represented, and there was a real push to not just represent Two Spirit, but the T in the acronym of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Girls, Two Spirit, mm-hmm. and Trans, and the the need to do that. Um, you know, I don't know. Like, and and it, it pains me to say this to you because you are non-binary, is to say, I know today there were lesbians that were never properly acknowledged as lesbians. They were trans, mm-hmm. they were never properly acknowledged as trans. And so there are people that would be classified under missing and murdered Indigenous boys because their families were not ready to acknowledge that the, gender, that the violence they received that ultimately led to their death or their missing is probably rooted in gendered violence because of their identity outside that, um, you know, what it? How you would say, uh, I guess straightness (laughs) really. Um, and that bothers me because, uh, that's, we don't have numbers. We don't even have the numbers to show it. And for somebody like I had a family member tell me on the down low, Oh, this person was actually gay. And I'm like, can I go public with that? Or, and then feeling like it's not my place to, because even though that this one particular family member may feel that way, doesn't mean all of the family feel that way. And if I were to put that out there would be disrespectful to that family, you know, um, but honoring the victim. And so I, I struggle with that all the time where, uh, we're not properly honouring these people and we're not honouring a bigger picture of that gendered violence. And today, um, you know, people are being trafficked. Today, people are going missing and being murdered. And actually, I should bring this up. This is totally not any to do with the binary issue. It's just um, mm. today, uh, settlers are buying rifles and ammo like crazy. Yeah. And today it came out, well, I guess last night came out that there was two men, two indigenous men, two good men. One was a father of three um, and him and his uncle were shot and killed. For I don't, we don't know why in the middle of the bush, nowhere. um, And the RCMP of zero leads. So yeah, like our people are just being murdered just to be murdered and um, add that issue of gendered violence. And I just like, I just feel sick knowing how marginalized so many people are and there will never be proper recognition of why that is, you know, of the, the abuse of sexism, the abuse of gendered violence against anyone who doesn't follow the uh, binary, I guess. Yeah. I guess I don't need to say male and female to you because binary (laughs) is that. (laughs) 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 but it's even Uh, me there's an example of me trying to learn my language of how to talk about these issues right
1: yeah uh, well and it's it is complex and challenging and the pandemic makes this more complex more challenging how do we you know we need to talk about so many different things right now because what the pandemic does what I'm seeing is it makes all of these issues more visible but that in itself makes it harder to see them all because there are so many of them so we we just I think we just have to hold gentle space for ourselves and each other and keep working on it Mm -hmm. and keep trying Mm -hmm. keep you know taking whatever threads we can find and weaving safety nets together for each other with each other just keep trying they'll yeah. be frayed and ugly still some of them will break but you just keep
0: keep weaving Yep. keep
1: going <laughs> yeah. well and and that's just how it
0: is like we all have to keep going that's just the survival part of all of us so um boy I feel like we could talk forever Tiffany and I really appreciate you being <laughs> on this show and talking about um the narrative therapy that you do you know the 6 months course that's coming up um to talk about that new future and hope with that justice lens and i don't know you, and for you again to do that um transcribing or, or or getting somebody else to do that transcribing so that my podcast could be available like i can't thank you enough for all of those things so you know thank wow. you for being on the show thank you for the activism you do and thank you so much for for helping me in trying to be a better human being
1: that that is it's so mutual. I hope you know that, and I appreciate you letting me be on the show too. I really do. Awesome. Well, thank you All right. so much.
0: I'll talk to you later. Okay, and I'll okay. see you online.
1: Yes. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye, now. Bye.
0: Indigenous have been talking about the issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting, you know, violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, well, (laughs) adding destructive policies in a time of crisis to hurt people, know that your vote to that party is negatively impacting marginalized people demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports on child welfare reform, violence prevention um, programs, and, you know, now we have 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry to implement. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, health, justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing, now add the COVID-19 crisis. Demand change from the election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc. A great article I said out loud in episode 62, is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies, and I have multiple books that I can recommend. Violence is just my daily reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure want to tell us their uninformed ones, usually by people who know nothing about Colonialism, the constant surveillance of indigenous people that we're under, our protests, our vigils, and our rights, typical microaggressions, and people just dealing with internalized racism, so people who then become those gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, and other people who are so in their trauma that they attack and stop people from trying to do good work and deplete their personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. and That's why I needed this podcast as a boundary to be heard, but here we are. My hope is that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. I want to continue by putting cultural safety into action so that you can create a safer space for marginalized people. You need to do something. Having good intentions is not enough. You have to take responsibility for your own learning. You have to take time for self-reflection. And you have to commit to lifelong learning. It can be uncomfortable. You just heard Tiffany and I have conversations like we're making fun of me being a straight cis person. But in the end, it is an uncomfortable conversation. You have to recognize your blind spots. Understanding colonialism, the legacy of racism, is an ongoing and difficult task. Internalized racism... Lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous or marginalized people experience through the structure of racism imposed by these policies <laughs> imposed by um, the Indian Act on these lands and uh, Indian Residential School, other land clearing policies. Uh, you can also Google racialequitytools.org where Donna Bivens put together a whole bunch of information about do and don't bystander intervention Um if you witness public instances of racism, anti-Black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, anti-Indigenous or other forms, and right now we'll say anti-Chinese because of the COVID-19 crisis, um, any form of in- oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, uh, do make your presence known. Uh, if possible, make eye contact, go sit with them, give them your card. If it's safe to do so, f- start filming or recording. Um, take cues from the person being harassed, you know, don't tone police the person being harassed if they are resisting in their own way, honor that and engage with them. Do you want me to sit here with you? Would you like for them to leave you alone? Would you like to move to another train car following up with individuals being harassed after the incident is over to see if they need anything else. And most likely everybody will be in shock. Just make sure you're handing them your card. Um, But do what you need to do to keep yourself safe. Don't necessarily call the police. For many communities experiencing harassment now, whether you're Arab, Muslim, Black, Queer, Indigenous, Trans, Immigrant, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get everybody to safety and not further violence from an attacker. But don't do nothing because... Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval. It leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too afraid or nervous to speak out, move closer to that person being harassed and communicate your support with your body. Teach your kids about accountability in a positive way. Um, if you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk after hearing what we what was said today, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at one 855 242 One zero, It's toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca. They have a text option. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to say thank you to my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots and for teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father to our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road, he has witnessed decades of racism, sexism, uh, gendered violence, everything in between. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, I am honoured that you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. Native Calgarian has a Patreon account where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kenna, Leah, Marissa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I support your Or I appreciate every bit of that support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you to those who cannot afford to give but listen in. I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to end by when I see those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thanks for listening.